I definitely fantasised about being a mummy when I was a child. I remember being six and pretending that I was married and had a couple of kids. I was also a pilot, although I pronounced this as pirate. And I would walk around with a pillow stuffed under my t-shirt pretending to be pregnant with another baby. I would spend hours role-playing as a mummy. I've always wanted to be one. Now I'm lucky enough to be a mum. My husband John and I live in Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire. And we have two little girls, Matilda, who is five, and Martha, who's three. We've made the decision to try for another one, baby number three. We're potentially creating one of the 679,000 babies that are born every year in England and Wales. It's hard to believe there's nearly 700,000 women creating life, going through the journey of pregnancy from conception to birth. My name's Rian, and this is my pregnancy journey. But in many ways, it's everyone's. This is Life Before Birth. Life Before Birth has been made possible with support from Tommy Tibby. Pregnancy and motherhood can be an emotional roller coaster. At Tommy Tippy, they want every parent to have the support they need, wherever they are in their journey. Through the highs and the lows, they're with you every step of the way. That's one of the reasons why they've created the Tommy Tippy Parent Room, an online hub that provides advice across all kinds of topics and draws on real mums' experiences. Head to tommytippy.com forward slash en gb forward slash parent dash room to discover the network for yourself. Now that John and I have decided to try for another baby, I think we should ask the girls what they think. Matilda and Martha, what do you think of babies? They're really cute and snuggly and you can hug them a lot and and, 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 and they show you cute things. And they're so snuggly at me because they like me. So you like babies? Yeah, we love babies because they're so cute. Yeah. And would you like Mummy and Daddy to have a baby? Would you like a baby sister or brother? Yeah, we would love some. I would love twins. Me too. You'd love twins. Girl or a boy? Both. Both twins. A girl and a boy. Twins. Twins. So the pressure is on. The girls would like twins. I'm quite nervous about how long it might take to get pregnant. I'm feeling a bit impatient already. John and I have been waiting for the right moment to start trying for a while. And now we've got to month one of trying. I'm feeling quite nervous. I got pregnant very easily with both of my girls. With Matilda, we weren't even trying. I mean, we weren't being successfully preventive, but it was a real shock when I found out I was pregnant at around six weeks. And with Martha, we decided to try for another baby. And a couple of weeks later, like that, I was pregnant. But I feel like there's this pressure now to get pregnant this month. I think John thinks it will happen really easily. And I'm feeling anxious that if I don't get pregnant right away, then why not? What's changed from the last two times? I'm already feeling a little emotional about this and we're just at the beginning. I've just done this ovulation test. I've done it for a few days now and I've had negative results but the last two I've had are positive. 
They're just cheap ones that I've bought off Amazon. So I've been checking other people's ones online. Just, yeah, just to make sure they were positive and it looks like they were. So with these tests, your test line has to be darker than the control line to be positive. And mine was. But it's kind of confusing because I think that means that you're about to ovulate, not that you're ovulating now. Let me just look this up. Positive ovulation. So I've just looked up what a positive ovulation test actually means. It looks like it's quite easy to use these tests incorrectly, especially if you're relying on them and timing sex around it. The test detects the presence and concentration of luteinizing hormone, or LH, in your urine. And there's a surge in this hormone roughly between 12 to 24 hours before ovulation. But I'm still a bit confused about this. So if you get a positive test, does that mean you should actually wait a day to have sex? I've got a lot of questions around ovulation and I want to know how accurate these tests are and how much sex should I be having? I've got in touch with the director of Fertility UK, Jane Knight. Jane is a fertility nurse specialist with a lot of experience in teaching fertility awareness in NHS and privately. So I'm going to give her a call to get some advice. Jane, I think I might be ovulating. I got two positive results from an ovulation kit. But how can I know for sure? I mean, what's the best way of tracking ovulation? I think the first thing to say is let's not let's not think about it as trying to track ovulation. Ovulation happens within an absolute, it, it takes moments for ovulation to happen. And we know that the egg is only fertilizable for a very short time anyway, literally only about sort of 12 to 24 hours max. So what we've really got to look at much more is when could when could sex result in pregnancy if we're talking about trying to conceive it's about there's nothing you can do to control if or when ovulation is going to happen and we know that it doesn't happen in every cycle for every woman and certainly as you get older it happens less and less which is why generally it takes longer um, so the main thing is to just the only thing that we're under control of is basically when couples have sex. It's for sperm health, and we always get into this women thinking about when they are fertile or when she is ovulating. Forget that side of it. The most important thing is for a woman to have fresh, healthy sperm ready and waiting for when her body releases an egg. Okay, so the egg really doesn't have long to be fertilised by the sperm then. So how much sex should you be having to get pregnant? The guidance really is much more about have sex at least three times a week, two or three times a week, but preferably three plus times a week. And don't worry about what else is happening because that keeps a fresh supply of sperm there at the time the egg is going to be released. All these other things to do with symptoms and tracking monitors and kits and goodness knows what are essentially can be helpful but also can put huge amounts of pressure on and can be incredibly misleading as well and actually mean that couples get away from this idea of just trying to keep keep at that stage of, of having a sort of fairly relaxed sex life but three two or three times a week now obviously some women would say but if I had to rely on that that's never going to happen because sex doesn't happen as often as that for endless different reasons so therefore we start to say well can we try and define, therefore, where the fertile time is? Not about ovulation. So your fertile window refers to the most fertile days in your menstrual cycle, which gives you the highest chance of conceiving. 
so you need to look at the cycle length you've had over the last year and count from the first day of your period to the day before your period is due. So you've got to look at the number of cycles you've had and the length of your cycles. So let's say you might have had 28, 29, 26 days. Find the length of the shortest cycle and the length of the longest cycle. You then subtract 20 from the shortest cycle and 10 from the longest cycle and that gives you your rough estimate of when you'll be fertile. So there is such a thing as pregnancy maths, only I haven't been doing this at all. I've just been relying on the ovulation kits. Essentially, there's two different types of stick. There's one stick that just picks up the LH, the luteinizing hormone, which it actually identifies the, the one or two days with, with the highest chance of conception. But if you're only picking up that one, you're potentially losing those chances on the preceding days where there would be a good chance of conception. Okay, so the sticks that are slightly better are the ones that pick up two hormones, the LH, the luteinizing hormone, which occurs, as I said, very close to ovulation, and the estradiol, or the estrogen, which is basically going to be giving around about five days of a fertile window. So they're better. They tend to be a bit more expensive because they're working on two hormones. Wow, I had no idea that some of the ovulation kits only pick up the LH level and that rising estrogen levels may also provide a better view of the fertile window. Jane, are there times for, or for certain women where these tests just aren't going to work, that they're not accurate? If you have, um, for example, women that have polycystic ovaries or sometimes older women where the LH level is slightly raised, those sticks won't be any use. And they will often, at least one, one in 10, they will give sort of basically strange readings. So they're, they're not the best thing. They can be a good guide, but they're not really the, everything they're cracked up to be. It doesn't sound like it's accurate at all then and actually it's quite stressful well there's there's a sense because it's a stick and because it's given you a positive result there's a sense of certainty around it and actually that's it is kind of complete bollocks you know so essentially it, forget all that side of it it's far as i said it, it just puts pressure and certainly men find it incredibly pressuring and when the whole bedroom's been turned into a laboratory that's precisely the time that men decide to take off for the pub or whatever or just can't even get an erection because it's it's got to be about about, you know, it's got to be about the relationship, it's got to be about sex, it's got to be about the passion that goes with that. It can't be all about focus on baby because it's the biggest turn off ever. That's the thing. I don't want to make sex into a chore, but I do want to conceive quickly. I've been waving my positive ovulation test in my husband's face today, <laughs> which is not very romantic. But it is difficult to be relaxed about conceiving, even if, like me, I've got two girls and conceived very quickly the last two times. I think the thing is, if you've conceived easily the first time, the first thing is you, first of all, it, it's highly, it, that's, that's really positive, really encouraging. The chances are it'll all happen easily again the next time. But one of the things that starts to happen, if the first time you conceived or the second time you conceived or whenever, it happened the same, first month or, you know, within two or three cycles or whatever, you then put yourself in that group that says, I'm somebody that conceives really quickly. So as soon as you therefore go on that little bit longer, you start to get anxious. And we know that the anxiety and the stress and the raised cortisol raise adrenaline actually starts to inhibit and reduce your chances of conceiving. Okay, so I need to stay calm and relaxed. But there must be something else I can do to improve my chances of getting pregnant again. Uh, 
obviously general health and fitness, not over-exercising, um, as I said, keeping weight, you know, having a BMI between sort of a, a 20 and 25 is, is optimal. Um, the, those sort of things, it's a gen, general health and fitness is important, certainly, as I said, not overdoing it. Um, and a kind of relaxed approach. I think having a plan. So it's been a few days since I've spoken with Jane. I'm feeling a little more relaxed. I'm going to try and ignore the ovulation tests I've done. And I'm definitely not going to give John the lowdown every day on whether or not I think I might be fertile or ovulating. But one of the things from our conversation has got me thinking is how general health and fitness is really important to conceive. This is something I haven't really given much thought to. And I want to make sure that I'm in tip top shape to get pregnant. I called up Carmenta Life, a private medical healthcare, antenatal and health clinic which specialises in pregnancy, based in Berkhamsted, and I arranged to meet nutritionist Hannah Alderson. I want to talk about nutrition and how important this is before conceiving. Support for this episode comes from Joy Baby. Joy makes parent-favourite, worry-free baby gear designed to make family life easier and stand the test of time. Joy knows your number one priority is keeping your little ones safe, and so is theirs. From the smartest manufacturing to the highest quality materials to the toughest testing around, Joy checks all the boxes to keep your kiddos snug and safe, whether on the go or cosied up at home. Check out Joy's award-winning push chairs, car seats, high chairs and so much more at joybaby.com. This episode is supported by Frugi Bloom. Frugi Bloom is a new range of ethical maternity wear made from 100% GOT certified organic cotton. For those who want to be mindful of the environmental impact of their clothes, Frugi Bloom's super soft contemporary styles are made with clever design details that adjust your changing shape. This allows you to wear your favourite maternity styles during pregnancy, breastfeeding and beyond. Frugi is loved not only for playful, bright clothing for babies and children, but also because they are taking active steps to help our planet, using organic and innovative recycled material in each collection. On a mission to help the next generation of eco-warriors, Frugi invites new mums to feel fabulous with an exclusive 10% off Frugi Bloom using code LIFEBEFOREBIRTH10 at welovefrugi.com, TNCs apply. Yeah, so um, with um, pregnancy, it's, I think what you need to look at, it's sort of everything needs to be working at sort of an optimum level for you to conceive as you want to give you and your partner the best possible chance of conceiving a healthy baby. There's sort of a magic three-month period, which is for both men and women. And if in that three-month period, you can have the opportunity to put in some real hard graft and really improve your chances of conception and also what genes are going to be expressed by the baby. So with men, there's about a three-month period where sperm has a turnover. And with women, it's um, we women are born with all their follicles, but there's a three-month period where follicles mature. And then in that sort of maturation period, they can really heavily be influenced by what you're doing, what you're eating, and everything else like that. So you can really improve the quality of the egg and the sperm via nutrition, lifestyle, sort of by eating well, reducing toxic load, living well. So 
you kind of need to see if you got pregnant today, you kind of were what you were three months ago. It's probably a good time as well then to go on to the mention nutri nutrients then about the key nutrients needed in order to conceive. Uh, yeah, so as I said, this is not the time to be fueling yourself with cheap petrol. This is, you want to be going for the Dulux gold standard diamond petrol as I see it, you know. If ever there was a time to think, right, I'm going to sort myself out, this would be it. You know, you could have like, you know, managed it all right in your student days living off certain things but you know this is a really important time to fuel yourself with the best possible fuel um so putting into focus what you're consuming the lifestyle you're leading so it's really kind of um basic stuff but it makes a huge impact so eating a diversity of colors with your food filling your plate with you know a variety of different food sources um and the more colours, the better, the more colours and more vitamins and more minerals, cooking from scratch, not opening packets. So doing your best, you know, to, you know, um, in, sort of include low human intervention food. So that's basically foods that haven't been faffed about with, you know, and, you know, things, whole foods, reducing toxic load. So caffeine, obviously smoking, alcohol. So, you know, if you were going to do... Um, a three month period you know try you know really reducing your alcohol even giving it up for three months because that can have a huge impact um looking at your cleaning products and um cleaning products yeah well. cleaning products beauty products because that you know some of the most toxic environments are in your home so if you're using things with huge amount of perfumes or colorants um there's a great app called think dirty and you can sort of um put your um, beauty products or things in there um and they give you sort of a rating because there's so much stuff and, you know, chemicals that your body was never meant to have to deal with. And all of those things can be endocrine disruptors, which can really have a massive effect on your whole balance and the reproductive system. So having, you know, a clean out, not just of your diet, but the whole, you've got to look at the whole picture. It's never just about one thing. You mentioned eating well and cooking from scratch. Are there yes. Any, are, there any, are there any magic foods or any particularly good foods that help with conception? So I would say there's no one miracle food. If there was, we'd be packaging up and I'd be selling it. But um, I think what you have to remember is there is no one plan fits all. There were two foods, I think, Increasing your green leafy veg is so important. So that's like eating, you know, look at it like your foliage. So foliage um, is really, really high in folate. So the word folate comes from the word foliage. Foliage is, um, I mean, folate is B9, otherwise known as folic acid, which you may have heard of, which is the sort of the synthetic version of folic acid. But I'll cover that a little bit later because your focus should not be on folic acid and that's with supplementation as well. It shouldn't be focusing on that. It should be on folate, the natural form. And then secondly, a really lovely thing is orange food. And I really think one has to be um, really conscious of having, you know, variety in life and lots of colours on your plate. Um, orange foods are really high in beta carotins um, and carotins um, or carotenoids um, support luteal cells and they um, secrete progesterone. And progesterone is super important um, when it comes to conceiving and also for the nourishment and survival of the embryo around implantation. So having, you know, thinking, you know, every, every day, have I had some orange food? Because upping all of those things can make a huge difference. So that's vitamin A. So that's the inactive form of vitamin A. Um, and also a lot of cultures see orange as the color of fertility, which is a really lovely thought. Is, that, is there any variation in between quality of obviously you can get the 
bog standard boots sort of yep. cheap sort of, of folic acid and um with you know and then you can get these 28 pounds 30 pounds plus you know um bottles of <coughs> yeah so um my advice to all my clients and to friends and family are vitamins are like shoes you have to spend the money to get good quality mm. i would insist that anyone trying um and anyone who is pregnant to look at a folate supplement instead of a folic acid supplement mm. um so Folic acid is the um, synthetic form of B9. Um, so we need to supplement folate as the bioavailability sort of, bio of food in folate, um, uh, sorry, in folate in food is variable. So, you know, the mineral content of soils going down, et cetera, et cetera. So, we, you know, we need a lot of it in pregnancy. Um, so you do need to supplement, but I would go for the folate. Um, so... We need to take it because it reduces instance, sort of instances of neuralgal tube defects. Um, so you do need to have around 400 milligrams a day. But when it comes to folic acid, it needs to be reduced by the body to dehydrofolate and tetrahydrofolate. And otherwise, if your body can't reduce that, it's completely biologically useless. But you have to be able to have the capacity to do that reduction. And about 40 to 60% of women are unable to do that. Wow. So if you can't do that, you might as well just be putting them in the bin because they're completely biologically unavailable to you. If that's one take home thing today and you're planning on conceiving, um, go for a supplement which is a natural form of folate, not folic acid. And um, don't get your vitamins from the supermarket, you know, get them, you know, go into a health food shop, speak, you know, people are full of so much knowledge in those shops now. Have a chat with them, get some advice and um, do your homework. Life Before Birth is supported by Mum and You. Mum and You is an exciting purpose-led brand who launched with an idea to support mums and help children reach their potential. They're a team of mums who brought their experienced baby brains together to create the products they wish they had, from soft eco-nappies, plastic-free biodegradable wipes and natural skincare. Everything they create starts with the same question, what will make mum's life easier? Their range is eco-conscious to protect your baby's planet and their donations of essential products through Women's Refugees and the Hygiene Bank supports families who really need it. Mum and you know, when you're about to become a mum, it can be overwhelming to decide what products are best for you. Their range is lovingly made by mums, for mums, so you know it's going to tick a lot of boxes. Which is why other parents rate Mum and you as excellent on Trustpilot. For 20% off across their site, visit mumandyou.com and use promo code TRY20 at checkout. Life Before Birth is supported by Tommy Tippy. Tommy Tippy is one of parents' most loved and trusted baby brands. On hand to support you and baby on your own unique journey, with everything you need from feeding and sleeping to soothing and bathing. For over 60 years, Tommy Tippy has been making smart, simple and innovative products founded on one simple goal, making everyday life a little easier for mum and dad. No wonder Tommy Tippy is loved by babies and recommended by generations of parents. Head to TommyTippy.com to discover its fantastic range of products, plus helpful tips and advice from parents and professionals alike. Okay, I've just done my first pregnancy test. 
it is way too early to do this, but I really needed to do one. Uh, I know even if it's negative today, it could be positive in a few days, so. Let's see. It's negative. It's definitely negative. Yeah, that's negative. Oh, that's really disappointing. So being cool and collected about this all lasted a couple of days. I've been thinking more and more about the stress of conceiving and how for some women, some couples, this is such a lengthy process. It can take months and months, years even, to get pregnant. So what do you do if you find yourself in that boat? I've decided to head up to Birmingham Women's Hospital, where I'm going to visit Mr. Yadava Jeev, a consultant gynaecologist and a specialist in various fertility investigations and treatments, about what happens if you're struggling to get pregnant. What are the different routes you can go down? So what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between fertility problems and infertility? Yes, uh, the word we commonly use is subfertility. Nowadays, we don't use much of infertility. Subfertility means exactly what you're saying. It's a problems getting conceived. And the way we define it is if a couple, a heterosexual couple is trying for two years with no known medical condition and still there is no pregnancy, then we define it as subfertile and we say that start seeking help. 80% of couple conceive in their first year of trying. Remaining 50% of the 20 get conceived in their next year of trying. And therefore we say that, okay, if you are a young healthy couple without any known problems, medical problems, then two years of trying is a reasonable time to say that, okay, you have chances and then you become supportive. Yudava then explained that men are just as likely to have fertility problems as women. In roughly 30 to 40% of subfertility, the problem will be found with the man. 40% roughly with the woman, 10% combined and 20% will be unexplained. Unexplained means that all the investigations will be carried out and come back as normal, but the couple still can't conceive. This is particularly hard because when the months roll by and you don't become pregnant, the first thing you want to know is why. But for some couples struggling to get pregnant and going through diagnostic process, examinations, hormone tests, they won't get any closer to discovering the reason behind why they aren't conceiving. 20%, that's one in five. That seems like quite a large number of cases. It is very high. Uh, it is very high because the, the, the word I use that with the investigations. We do only mainly four types of investigations. So we do the four tests that those tests are number one, sperm test. Number two, a scan to test check the womb if womb is okay or whether there is any polyp or anything coming in the womb. Number three is the tubes, what we call fallopian tubes, whether so the tubes are open because tube is the part where egg and sperm meet, fertilize and then the embryo comes inside the womb. So it's very important for natural conception to have the open tubes. And number four, ovaries releasing eggs every month. So we test for that. So out of these four things, if one or two are having a problem, then we treat that. Uh, but the, if all these four tests are normal, then we label it as unexplained. We don't go into any further or depth in-depth investigations. 
because the treatment is not going to change. Um, can you tell me a bit more about the treatments yes. that are available? Yes, so the treatments available, so let's start as we are discussing how men, males of fertility. For men, the treatments available, if it's uh, what we call hypogonadism, that means if the hormones are not enough, then we give them the hormonal injections and we work with the hormone doctors very closely, the fertility specialist and hormone doctor together do this treatment and once the sperms start coming out, we bank those sperms and use that for the IVF treatment. Number two, if the sperms are not getting out but they are formed in the testicles, then what we do is test sperm biopsy. So we either with anesthesia, local anesthesia, we put a needle in the testicle, get the sperm out, that's called surgical sperm retrieval. Number three, we uh, and testicular biopsy or microdissection uses sperm. Or number four, if all these measures fail and couple is open to the idea of donor sperms, we use the donor sperms. Coming to the female subfertility, if it's a polycystic ovaries, we treat with simple tablets, that's ovulation induction tablets, and that helps 30% of time to get the baby or successful pregnancy. Uh, there is always 3% to 6% chances of having twins with this treatment. If the cause is blocked tubes, some certain conditions, certain types, we can unblock the tubes. If there is a fibroid or polyp coming in the cavity of the womb, we take that out. That's the surgical treatment. All these treatments are available on the NHS and there is no strict funding criteria for these treatments. Yadava went on to explain to me that the strict funding comes into play when it comes to assisted conception. So that may be through IVF, ICSI or IUI. That's a lot of acronyms. Okay, let's start with IVF, in vitro fertilization. This involves the use of fertility drugs to gently stimulate the ovaries to produce quality mature eggs, which are taken from the woman and then fertilized in a laboratory with sperm. The fertilized egg, the embryo, is then returned to the woman's womb to grow and develop. Hidava explained that ICSI is a specialized form of in vitro fertilization while instead of the sperm being mixed with the egg in a lab, the best single healthy sperm is extracted from the sample and injected directly into the egg to fertilise it. Then IUI, intrauterine insemination, is a procedure during which processed and concentrated motile sperm are inserted directly into a woman's uterus at the time the woman is ovulating. But the route in which you take, how long you wait for assisted conception, Yadava told me that that all depends on where you live and what your local hospital's waiting time is. You have to go through the GP referral, baseline investigations, then further investigations. And then when you're deemed suitable for assisted conception treatments, Yudava said, then a funding application is made. The funding follows the patient. So wherever the patient lives, the hospital has to stick to the funding criteria defined by that patient's area the patient's clinical commissioning group, or CCG. And whether the hospital has a contract with the CCG, although sometimes the CCG has multiple contracts with IVF units. Some CCGs will fund three rounds of IVF, some one, and some provide no IVF funding at all. It's a total postcode lottery. As many as one in seven couples trying to have a baby will experience subfertility, Yadava told me. One in seven couples waiting to hold the title of parents. 
It's a year of waiting, a year at the very least to get assistance. And there's so many barriers in terms of getting the right treatment, the funding. It takes a huge amount of patience. I can't even imagine. So today is the first day that I felt maybe I am pregnant. I can't pinpoint it. I don't know exactly why I feel this way. I'm not overly emotional. Um, I don't have tender breasts or implementation bleeding or any of the kind of first signs. But I've had cramps for a few days now, three days now, um, on and off. And they're quite dull cramps, um, as well as lower backache. And I just don't usually get period pains a week before my period starts. Um, for me, this happens just a day or two days before my period. My cycle's pretty regular. I don't know, I just don't feel like my period's going to happen today or tomorrow or the day after. I'm really tempted to do another test, but it might just be too early. I don't know, I see here that a few people put their tests online with their days past ovulation or DPO, according to the internet. Um, so it's obviously people that are waiting like me during this, this period of time, which is known in the online community as the two week wait, which is the time from when you ovulate to when your period is around about due. Okay, so I've just done my second pregnancy test. The last one was negative a few days ago. Um, but um, yeah, I've done another one. Just This is now five days before my period is due, so it's still quite early. But um, yeah, I woke up really early this morning, <laughs> about five o'clock in the morning, desperate to go for a wee. And um, so um, yeah, let's have a look. There's a very faint light, but it's a definite positive. Oh my god. Oh my god, yeah, I'm pregnant. Wow, I did not expect that this morning. I was expecting disappointment. Oh my god, yeah, that is a definite positive live. Oh wow. I've just raced to the studio and I'm all on my own to reflect on the test that I've just taken. I can't, I just can't believe that I'm pregnant. I'm so happy. I can't believe it. I've got in my head that it might take a lot longer than that. And I just, I just can't believe, I can't believe it. I'm about to take Matilda and Martha to school. And when I get home, I'm going to tell John. It's still very faint as it's um, early, but it's a definite yes. <laughs> Reaction? <laughs> I don't know what to say. We're not wasting any time in telling our close family and friends. I know a lot of people wait until the 12-week scan, but we're going to tell a few people. I just can't wait to share the news with my in-laws, who I know are going to be absolutely thrilled. Um, we're going over there today, and we're also going to tell my sister-in-law, Helen, who lives next door to them. We're going to go there right afterwards. I'm pregnant. Oh, <laughs> oh my Congratulations. God. Bloody hell, honestly, this family... Is
I'm pregnant. <laughs> I, ju- I, ju- I just said, she comes to us, she's pregnant. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't spoil it. <laughs> How far along? Uh, like uh, one day. I went to the zoo earlier today with the kids and I was really upset to find some brown discharge when I went to the loo and when I wiped. I didn't have that with my either pregnancies. I didn't notice that I had that with either of my other pregnancies. And I came home and I googled it straight away and it looks like it could be implemented. I just don't know if it is. I don't know, I'm just really worried. I've been really worried about ectopic pregnancies and this being an ectopic pregnancy as well. I've got all sorts of worries at the moment that this pregnancy isn't going to continue. I've had a pain in my neck and I've got cramps in my right side and I've read that those those could be signs of an ectopic pregnancy. I'm just worried and I'm googling everything and It doesn't feel the same as my previous pregnancies. And I could just have a stiff neck because I'm worried and I'm stressed about it all, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm overthinking things. I'm just not helping myself. But there's this, I don't know, I feel so strange. There's something in me telling me not to relax and telling me not to totally believe in this pregnancy, which just sounds horrible to even say that. But I'm terrified this is gonna stop and I just, I don't want it to, I don't want it to stop and I know I'll be heartbroken if it does. Um, I'm not really sure about um, an hour, or just over an hour ago now I suppose. I am five weeks, um, five weeks pregnant, I went to the bathroom and um, there was quite a lot of blood. I've been cramping all day so I've been, so I have been cramping but it's not, it hadn't been too bad um, until a couple of hours ago and it's, and then and um, yeah, and then the cramping got a bit a bit stronger, but it's just been feeling like period cramps all day, really. Okay, are you home by yourself? Um, I'm with my husband. So ask him to take you to A and E straight away, okay? Okay. All right. All I right. Will. They will scan you. Okay, okay. my darling. Thank, thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, you need to bear with me for a bit. The wound is what I would say is axial, so it's sort of straight ahead. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever, it just makes it a bit harder to do the scan. I went into the hospital a few days ago and I miscarried 
and it was truly one of the most upsetting and just horrible things to go through. I'm still very much going through it. It's just really disappointing and I've got to now cancel my first midwife appointment and yeah, just, just stopping this pregnancy, it's just stopping this journey. I know it's not long until uh, John and I can try again. And we've got two healthy girls, but I think getting pregnant again is going to be the only thing that makes me feel truly better about this all. I just want to be pregnant again. I thought I'd come into the studio today and explain how I'm doing. So it's been a week since my miscarriage and it was horrible. The bleeding was horrible. Bright red clots were coming out of me and it wasn't anything like a period. And I just felt like it wasn't ever going to stop. But I haven't had any bleeding for the last day now, which is really improving how I feel about it all. Although I keep wiping and checking myself and to see that the bleeding has stopped. Um, I feel like I've got over the initial shock of it all, but now I just feel like I'm in this strange, weird limbo. It's hard to explain. I'm desperate to be pregnant again and I want to start trying, but I'm also grieving so much as well. How can you grieve for something and someone you haven't yet met? I spoke to my sister-in-law, Helen, about how I was feeling and she's had a couple of miscarriages. And at first I felt a bit sheepish telling her about my miscarriage as she found out she'd miscarried at her 12-week scan. She'd suffered a missed miscarriage, which just must be awful. And I felt like maybe she'd think that my grief wasn't justified, but she was really kind and she told me, yes, it's it could be a lot worse, but it could also be a lot better and that it was okay to not be okay. It's only been 12 days since I miscarried, but we're going to try and get pregnant again. We're gonna see, just we're just gonna see what happens. Um, today I've been thinking a lot about whether it was the right time to tell people, or to tell close family and friends anyway, that I was pregnant so early on. There's so much information out there and hearsay that really makes you feel like you have to wait until your 12th week until your 12th week of pregnancy to tell anyone except your partner that you're pregnant and even though I'm really and even though I'm still recovering emotionally from the miscarriage and it is hard to talk about it I don't regret sharing the news I was pregnant and then having to tell those close family members and friends that I miscarried. I do feel that having a miscarriage and talking about a miscarriage shouldn't feel like this taboo subject. I just, I just don't get what we're, why we're not talking about it more when it's not uncommon. But it is hard to talk about. And when I've been thinking about why I'm finding it difficult to talk about, it's often that I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. 
I want to understand more about how people cope with miscarriage. So I'm off to Wakefield near Leeds to visit Ruth Bendretic, the National Director of the Miscarriage Association, which is a UK-wide charity. They offer support and information to anyone who has been affected by miscarriage, ectopic pregnancies, which is where a fertilised egg implants itself outside of the womb, and molar pregnancies. A molar pregnancy is where a foetus doesn't form properly in the womb and a baby doesn't develop. What are some of the most common causes of early pregnancy loss? The most common cause is a random chromosomal abnormality. It simply means that either the egg cell or the sperm cell has something wrong with it and they just cannot create the right um, combination of chromosomes for the baby to survive. So you can absolutely have a conception, but that, that tiny beginning of a pregnancy just cannot make it. It can take some time for that process actually to happen, but between knowing that the pregnancy isn't going to survive and the actual miscarriage itself, which is why some women don't actually find out until maybe they go for their routine 12-week scan. And is that when, is that a missed miscarriage? Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons for a missed miscarriage. It's not uncommon for that to happen. Okay. Um, and what are some of the signs of early miscarriage? I mean, what are some of the other signs that you might realise that the difference really between a bit of spotting to actually yeah, you're going through a miscarriage? There was a study done, gosh, probably about 20 years ago at the University of Leeds where they looked, at, the researcher looked at women who presented to the early pregnancy unit with bleeding or spotting in the first 12 weeks and 50% of them went on to have a healthy pregnancy. So there's really no way of knowing for sure unless and until you have a scan which shows otherwise or you have much heavier bleeding which probably indicates that something's wrong, or if you have pain, acute pain. So there's no obvious way of knowing. What can it physically look like? Because I, I only got to six weeks, and when I miscarried at six weeks, it was I had heavy bleeding, but I didn't, um, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to look anyway, and I didn't have to have any interventions, but what else, I mean, up to 12 weeks, what else can the, having miscarriage actually, actually look like? You mean the physicality of yeah. what you see, it varies hugely and some women won't be able to identify amongst the, the, the blood and tissue. I guess probably the most um, unglamorous way of describing it is, is the sort of stringy bits, little little lumpy bits or stringy bits. It reminds me of glue a bit actually. Yeah, it can be stretchy. Sometimes it's red and sometimes it's very dark red and sometimes it's brown. And sometimes women say that they're able to see a sort of um, almost a fleshy or a grey coloured thing in inverted commas. It just varies from woman to woman, but they may be able to identify something that looks as if it, it looks different from everything else that's coming out. And sometimes they're absolutely able to identify something that looks like um, an embryo or a fetus within the pregnancy sac. It depends on the number of weeks they are pregnant, but also the number of weeks at which the baby died or stopped growing, because there can be a, a gap between the two. Ruth said that the time it takes to get over a miscarriage physically depends on the individual. For some women, it can take a number of days, some weeks to feel physically better. 
there are no absolutes. And there are different routes that can be taken when a miscarriage happens, from letting nature take its course to medical interventions. And how is um, miscarriage treated medically? So what are the different sort of routes that could be taken? Some women will miscarry spontaneously. They don't need any kind of treatment at all. Um, and, and this may be um, their, their decision that they don't want to go and see anybody or because it all happens very quickly. Um, or it may be that they've gone for a scan, they're told it looks like you're in the process of miscarrying or we can see that the baby's died and hasn't yet miscarried physically. So, so they are given options of how it might be managed. And I think, I think those words are quite difficult because when you think about the word options, you think of nice things to choose between. And there's nothing nice between any of these, really, because what you want is for your baby to be okay. But those three options are waiting for nature to take its course, um, and that may take days or it may take weeks, but eventually it will happen. It may be very painful. There may be a great deal of blood and clotting. It helps a lot if they've been prepared for how it might be. Um, and some women feel safest when this happens at home in their own space, because it's where they're familiar with and some would prefer to be in hospital. There is also the option of medical management of miscarriage, and that means taking either one or two drugs, usually in, as vaginal pessaries, and they, they kind of kickstart the process if a miscarriage hasn't already started. Um, and in some cases, the hospital will ask women to stay at stay there for a while, at least for a few hours, to make sure that there isn't uh, an allergic reaction, um, or ask them to stay until the process is finished so that they can be cared for. But a lot of them will also offer the option of going home and taking the treatment at home. And many women would prefer to do that. But again, it varies. And again, there can be a lot of pain and a lot of bleeding, um, which is why Again, it's important for them to know what to expect. It, it doesn't help if somebody says it's just going to be like a heavy period, because it's not. What do women tell you after they've had a miscarriage and how, is, you know, how do they often come to terms with what's happened, if there is a way? <laughs> I think for everyone who has a miscarriage, or an ectopic or molar pregnancy, the way they, they react to it, the way they respond to it, the way they feel about it is absolutely individual. I think, I think that's true. And, and the same is, is true, for example, for women who may have, I don't know, taken a long time to conceive. It's, t it's taken them a long time to conceive or they've had to use something like IVF to conceive and then they miscarry. Um, and people will say things to, to cheer them up, like, well, at least it worked, at least you know you can get pregnant. And while there is some truth in that, that's not necessarily much of a consolation. And I think that can be really, really difficult. So one of the things that I think our organization um, 
does well is that in the in the you know in the, in the line of support there is both some there are some support groups around the country but there is also increasingly online support from women who've been through something similar and that's that's really comforting not because it changes you know the things that have been sent to you but because you know you're not alone because i think it's the aloneness in miscarriage that's very difficult when when you're feeling however you're feeling and somebody else or perhaps a whole bunch of people are telling you that actually you oughtn't to be feeling that way this is how you ought to be feeling well that isn't going to work it's just going to make you feel alone mm-hmm. this pregnancy i've been googling every single other thing like unstoppably I just, I just i'm addicted to googling everything and looking at forums um, which has definitely created even more more anxiety for myself. So my husband banned me from checking like Google. <laughs> he was like, "You're not allowed to use this." Um, but the other thing is, I um, yeah, sort of I would wipe and check every single time. Yes, and it's called, um, it's called the white toilet paper time. That's what it's called. It's called. Well, I mean, people always talk about yeah. you know once I once I'd miscarried and I was pregnant again. I only ever buy white toilet paper so I don't get misled because of the colour. Yeah, but um, it's interesting that other it's, women... It's, it's not only common, it's completely understandable. If you've had the rug taken away from you, you know, from under you once, mm. when you absolutely were least expecting it, in your case because you'd had healthy pregnancies before, and why would you consider miscarriage? Mm. You never take that next pregnancy for granted. Yeah. And that's absolutely understandable. It's it's also sad. People feel robbed of happiness and optimism. They they feel they can't absolutely let go and enjoy the pregnancy mm. because because even though they had spotting and it was okay, who knows what next week will bring. There's a there's a, a sadness about about that loss of innocence in a way. Speaking with Ruth was exactly what I needed to hear. Our conversation really did shed some light on the complex feelings I've had about my pregnancy loss. I'm really hoping I'm going to become pregnant again quickly, but my miscarriage has definitely changed the way I feel about pregnancy. I know I'm going to be more on edge. As Ruth said, I don't know that everything will be okay next time. But I'm going to try and remember, whatever happens, that I'm not alone. I'm waiting to see if I conceived again. I'm getting cramps again, which is what I felt last time. Um, Again, not like period cramps, but I'm definitely aware of them. It's all really similar to the symptoms I felt last month just before I found out I was pregnant. I'm getting headaches too this time, which I've read can be a sign of pregnancy. But I I am trying to relax a little more this month and try not to Google every single little sign. And um, yeah, I've kind of come, I'm accepting that the miscarriage wasn't my fault. Speaking with Ruth really helped me with that. I'm just, yeah, trying to relax. (laughs) I took Jane's advice as well I didn't use an ovulation kit this time as she warned me about the accuracy and that just having regular sex is best so we did that John and I 
went away for a romantic night without the girls and it was really nice to have some couple time together with especially after with what we went through last month yeah obviously the fact that we're trying to get pregnant was on our minds but we tried to not let it overrun the whole evening and yeah we just had a good time so who knows um I'm trying to stay level-headed <laughs> I'm gonna try and not make it or turn it into some sort of mission but I am gonna do a test tomorrow Life Before Birth is a production of Reby Media, written and produced by me, Rian Owen, sound editing and production assistance by Ross McPherson. Original music for the series is composed by Nick Atkins, series supervision by John Young. Our executive producer is Rory Harris. Thanks to Tommy Tippy, Kathy Johnson at Commenta Life, Jane Knight, Hannah Alderson, Yudar Vajiv, Ruth Benderatik at the Miscarriage Association, Kate Uwer at West Hearts Hospitals NHS Trust, and all the medical and support staff at West Hertfordshire Hospitals NHS Trust that have helped us in the making of this series. And a special thanks to my children, Matilda and Martha. You can find us on all podcast apps and on our website at life.reby.media. Please do leave us a review. It really does help others hear this story. Thank you for listening.